Welcome to Ryan Rants and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec government office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan Rants and Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Today, I'm very excited and elated to be with a trailblazer within the fashion industry who has always been striving to make a difference with sustainability. I'm with Ender Betty. Ender, uh, thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Good morning, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, and you know, I guess before we start, you know, I just want to mention because and I mentioned you were a trailblazer, but started Matt and Nat, which has which made a difference in the splash and you know, create cruelty-free bags and vegan bags. But you know, what was your reasoning for starting a environmentally friendly company, especially in the fashion industry? What gave you the drive? I've been vegetarian uh, for for a long time now, <laughs> and I was doing a a bachelor degree in marketing with a minor in corporate law in uh, Montreal at Concordia. And the the goal was really to go to law school, which I was very much interested in. My last semester at Concordia, I had to come up with this make-believe business for actually for a course that I tried getting out of, but I had to <laughs> complete the credits. So I based it on a vegan fashion company, just being a frustrated consumer who is vegetarian, feeling that there weren't enough options out yeah. there for people that did not want to use leather. I had to go to two banks. They did not fund it. They they didn't understand it. And uh, I think I got a 77 in the uh, the project. Um, but after I finished my bachelor's, I thought maybe there's something here and uh, started doing research into launching a vegan handbag brand. And uh, that's how Matnet started back in 1995. Well, it's interesting that started just off that one class that you want to wiggle your way out of. Imagine if you wiggled your way out, you would have never started Matt and Nat, perhaps. Yeah, maybe someone else would have started it and they would have called it, I don't know, something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it's funny. I, I tend to think of myself as somebody who's very analytical and sweats the details, but I would say the biggest decisions in my life, you know, including starting Matt and Nat and eventually moving on to something else, has always come from a I guess, an inner voice that can't necessarily put my finger on, but it uh, it has guided me uh, throughout my personal life and career. Well, I think listening to the inner voice, it, it goes hand in hand with the passion, which is beautiful. And, and that, and that's, it's made a change because I think in 1995, I, I think it must, like you said, it must have been difficult to find, you know, any, you know, small accessories that didn't have leather. So for those who really want to stay true to their beliefs, it was, might have been difficult to purchase you know, those items that we all need. For sure. You know, even the word vegan at the time was not really known. Most people didn't know what a vegan is. It was definitely an interesting time to kind of be there and um, just be at the start of that whole community for sure. Now I do want to talk about your your, your new endeavor, um, which I think is even going to the next degree of really being sustainable industry. But can you tell us a a little bit about your new brand, 457 Anew? Yeah, for sure. 457 Anew really represents my return back to local production. Not a lot of people know this, but at the beginning of Matt and Nat, we uh, produced everything locally in Montreal, materials that were imported from Europe. So when I took a break from the industry, I decided that if I get back into it, I really want to try and take sustainability to a different level. One of the first requirements was to make sure that we were producing everything locally again in Montreal. Then one of the other requirements I had was to make sure that we were getting all our resources as close to our backyard as possible. So before 5-7 and you was pretty much born in the scrapyards of Quebec, where I 
started looking for materials that we could use in the production of bags, outerwear, but do it in a way that still felt elevated. So one of the first projects I did was to make bags out of retired airline seats from uh, Air Canada planes where they refurbished the interiors. And for the belts, we used all seat belts that were taken out of planes and cars as well. So that was super interesting. We did that as a limited edition series. And then from there, it just grew into, we um, found this fabric, Econil, out of Italy, which is made out of fishnets that are pulled out of the ocean in Europe, as well as carpet fiber waste. Uh, It's a nylon that's regenerated, that can be regenerated infinitely and is produced without using any new resources. Um, So it's, it's been interesting in the sense that because the industry and the search for regenerated materials, upcycled materials, plant-based leathers has evolved so much that it's such a great time to be developing a brand with all these materials that are available um, these days and producing it locally is always nice. You just get to be close to the makers, the artisans and everybody that's involved with seeing this project come together. When is mentioned even producing locally, is more sustainable because let's say you were doing all your fabrics and everything else from overseas, you know, that, that takes the fuel costs for them to ship it all the way to you. And you're also, like you mentioned, creating and being more a part of the community. Uh, I think it's great though, that you're going, you're rummaging through the scrapyard and finding the seatbelts to utilize into your products. Um, where, where, where do you usually put the seatbelts like um, from the cars or is that in the sweater or where, how do you implicate that? Or is that in the straps of your accessories? Um, it's definitely on all the handles and straps of the bags. It is a design detail on the outerwear as well. And um, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. But <laughs> we spend so much time just researching what's the proper way to stitch the belts and what's different techniques that we could use to you know, people have been making accessories out of seatbelts for decades. So the idea was to take that craft, but really do it in a way that would feel elevated and allow yeah. our products to sit next to other premium brands on the shelf of a retailer or online for e-commerce. So we, we use different techniques and the ways that the belts are stitched so that looking at them, most people don't even realize they're seatbelts. They just think it's a beautiful webbing that's accessorizing the bags or the outerwear. And I do know, like, you know, one of your sayings is everything you, you know, must come from something old. I think that's, that's really cool because that's what you're doing is you're creating, you're taking something old that was used and bringing it back into a new life. I love it. Yeah, that, that's the idea that um, along with having a mandate to really use upcycled materials that would typically be floating around the ocean or end up in landfill. So that's one aspect of everything new coming from something old. And then the other aspect is our last Beyond You program, where everything is guaranteed. Even our knits that we do are guaranteed for a year, the bags for two years, the outerwear for five years. Once people are either tired of the item or they want to refresh their their closet, they could send it back to us. We give a 25% credit. We refurbish the items and get them out to Danahu, which is an organization in Montreal that helps kids living on the streets of Montreal. So The idea is really that the items should, first of all, come from landfill and waste and then be designed and in such a way that they're never going to go to the landfill so that they'll they'll keep going on. And I think that 
you know, ties into just tackling the issue of fast fashion. The statistic now is that every second, a garbage truck of clothing is either incinerated or thrown out. So, you know, we're joining a community who's very much interested in promoting circular fashion and just getting away from this idea of clothing being such a large polluter uh, in terms of our industry. What would be some fallacies that, you know, someone markets themselves as sustainable, but how can a consumer you know, really tell and vet that the brand is sustainable? It's really asking a lot of questions. Uh, where is it made? Is it fair trade? Are the labors, the, the labor that's going into the process, are they paid fairly, treated fairly? And then looking at all the components in the actual product, where do they come from? How are they made? Uh, is there certifications associated with whether it's the lining or the outer shell or the hardware, whatever it is? It's just really asking a lot of questions and demanding answers from from the industry or from specifically the brands. We, at the end of the day, we vote with our dollars. Um, and yeah. it's quite simple that if everybody stopped buying any particular item for a long time, that particular industry would have no choice but to kind of pay attention and listen to what's going on. So I, I think it's really demanding a change from industry and voting with our dollars in the sense that whatever the industry is, whether we're buying clothing, food, apothecary, uh, just really asking a lot of questions that should be asked. Well, I think what's good, like you mentioned certifications, there are some like the the cruelty-free where they have the little bunny for beauty. I know I've seen that. Do you know any of any others? There's different certifications that uh, we have, especially for materials that are made in Europe, like there's Reach out of Europe. For plant-based leathers, they could actually get USDA approved, believe it or not. Wow. Um, Yeah, because the plant-based leather we use is actually made, uh, grown from cactus leaves and then processed and made in Mexico. So these are certifications that we actually feature on our website. And um, more and more brands are starting to feature different certifications. And it's really looking into those certifications, digging deep and finding out what do they represent? What do they stand for? And making sure that, that those tie in with what you're looking for in terms of your values as a consumer. Well, I, I like that you use plant-based leather from cactuses. How, how did you discover using that as a, as a tool or as a, as a material? Well, we started getting a demand for um, just having a uh, leather look to our, our bags. And again, that's an industry in terms of plant-based leather that has really grown over the last couple of years, there's everything from mushroom leather to grape leather to cactus leather to corn leather to <laughs> it just keeps growing and growing. Um, so that was super interesting to be able to source a leather that's actually made here in North America. Again, what you were saying earlier, Ryan, just in terms of um, carbon footprint, the transport being as close to as home as possible. And just the fact that it's a bio-based material, yeah. is, you know, leathers have always typically been either PVC or mostly PU. And so this is quite interesting in terms of where the industry is, uh, is heading. Yeah. Well, and I, as you mentioned, it's bio-based. So that's, that's key. You know, I do want to continue because, you know, since, you know, you have a great business acumen, you know, you, Matt and that is known. You know, if I run into a random New Yorker, they will know the brand Matt and that, but what lessons have you learned in, in business? 
Um, <laughs> it's a it's a really large question. I know, <laughs> very open ended. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny once uh, a brand becomes a bit more known and it starts to scale. Sometimes we lose sight of just where the brand started, and I, I think yeah. throughout the process, staying very close to the community that built the brand in the first place um, is key, and always making sure you're keeping touch and. These days with social media, it's that much easier to do it, to hone in, to narrow in on who your community is, uh, your base. And that's been a big thing, I think, is always staying close to that initial community that really resonates with the values of the brand. Um, Even once brand scales and becomes larger, I think that's an important aspect of it. And I like how you mentioned the community with social media because they'll hold you accountable. So that's that's. That's the beauty of social media, whether you like it or dislike it with social media growing. So now, Ender, we'll, we'll go to the ethos of the podcast because it's called Ryan's Rants and Raves. Do you have anything that you're excited or frustrated about that you'd like to share? We have some exciting things going on this year, like with COP26, just being part of this interesting group, uh, being considered a climate changer for, for Canada has been a very nice and humbling nomination. Uh, one of the other 26 um, people nominated this year is David Suzuki, who's my childhood environmental superhero. So that's been <laughs> uh, kind of nice that this countdown goes to an event in November that'll take place in Glasgow. I'm not sure if I'll be attending or not at this point, but let's see how things kind of pan out. That's been super interesting. One of the frustrating things I think as a new brand is really getting our story and our message out there it's uh social media is incredible in the sense that you can reach a large audience um in a relatively short span of time but then the other thing is it is you know there's so many brands right now especially during yeah. competing for attention and space that um breaking that noise and reaching even your own community within social media could be quite time-consuming, expensive, everything that goes along with it. So that that's always, um, you know, a little bit frustrating in the sense that I feel we're doing something industry interesting in the industry that's really unique, not just in Canada, but in the world in terms of this brand was built on the mandate of upcycling um, materials destined for landfill or ocean waste, but doing it in a way that still feels elevated. So getting that message out, being able to reach our community, whether it's Canada or anywhere around the world, that's, it's a challenge um, with all the noise out there. So I guess if there's any rant. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that is, that's what's hard. I mean, I, I agree that I think that rant is, is justified. Um, but for the positive, I think, you know, you're going the right direction to have the platform for the COP26 and, and then you'll be with uh, David Suzuki who will learn more about your brand as well and share it. So that's who is your childhood hero. So that's very exciting to, to hopefully to solve the rant in some ways. Yeah. And we're, you know, it's interesting because um, sustainability has become such a common word, like everybody, every industry, whether they make mattresses or, you know, the obvious food or fashion, everybody wants to promote that they're being sustainable these days as they should. Um, but it also makes it harder that when you're 
taking certain efforts to take this maybe to next level sustainability to to get recognized for that because it's become so common. Maybe we have to coin our own term. <laughs> no, no, no. In some, in some ways, I agree. Yeah, because you, so you see something say sustainable, but then like you mentioned, you know, it's the job of the consumer to spend dollars on that sustainable. But sometimes the consumer might not be aware. They just buy something that's sustainable, but in reality, it is quote unquote sustainable because it's the easiest thing to put out there. It's the easy thing to hashtag sustainable, you know, for a retailer and a brand. But when push comes to shove, if you look at their back end, it's not as sustainable as what really meets the eye. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of really, I guess our it is our job and our task to educate consumers as well in terms of what we're doing and how it's making a difference. Um, everybody's so busy in their everyday lives that they're also looking at industry to kind of give them some of the answers as they should. And yeah. it's our responsibility to take things further and maybe just uh, through we innovation. Make the transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Transparency about how we're being innovative and just uh, nothing is ever perfect, but just striving towards a circular economy. I do want to, you know, just ask just because someone may not be aware, but can you give more information about um, COP26 and what is it? Just because you mentioned earlier that you'll be speaking in Glasgow um, in the fall, um, either virtually, but hopefully in person. But can you give a background about what it is to those who don't know? Yeah, for sure. Um, COP26 is a, a joint initiative between Canada, the UK and the United Nations um, to basically uh, so both Canada and the UK, well, Canada has a, had the responsibility of electing 26 people this year that they deemed are climate changers or climate champions. So that was a nice honor to uh, be one of those 26 members, along with David Suzuki and 24 other great people from a variety of different industries that are really making a change. And it's essentially a countdown. Um, it was announced in the last two weeks. <clears throat> it's a countdown to November, where they have this event in Glasgow, which is the official COP26 event, where they um, just talk about the different initiatives that are taking place to affect climate change all over the world. Right. And I imagine that they will be streaming it virtually, correct? Um, given that you know, you might be there in person, but to those who might want to watch live, do, do they purchase tickets to watch? Or how does, how does that, do you, do you have any information on that? I think it's more of a, that it'll be streamed and it is a pretty big event. You know, there was a lot of talk uh, about whether they should still have the event or not with COVID. So will it be strictly virtual or will it be an actual event where people can attend? So I think they're going ahead from my understanding is it's still uh, being planned to be an in-person event, but we'll know more over the next couple of months. Perfect. Well, I'll keep November on my calendar. So I'm excited to listen to you and David Suzuki um, have a conversation. So that's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> um, I do now want to um, circle back to the good old province of Quebec, but can you mention in any way how um, Quebec has influenced you? I know you've been in a lot of Quebec scrapyards, you know, for sourcing for <laughs> material, <laughs> but can you, can you mention anything else? I mean, Quebec and maybe Montreal, uh, if I could talk about Montreal specifically. Yes, please. It's just such a great cultural hub in terms of design, innovation, ingenuity. Like I've been here almost my whole life. Uh, I was born in the UK, but my family came here at a pretty young age. And 
I can't think of any other city that has just such an interesting mix um, in terms of culture, backgrounds that just creates this vibrancy. And it's so um, inspiring on a daily basis in terms of creating and really thinking outside of the world. That, that's, um, that's, that's music to my ears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always good to hear. I, I mean, it's, it's such a multicultural community and, you know, with tons, tons of craftsmen, which I think people don't realize that that's going on just north of New York City. So not too far. Um, now to, to end, you know, because I think it's always good, but do you have any advice to, I know there's a lot of snippets of advice and tidbits of advice that you shared throughout the questions, but do you have any advice that you would like to share um, to the fashion community or the community in general? First of all, once you are blessed enough to find that passion, to really believe that you can make this happen, because if you truly believe, again, I'm getting maybe a little hippy dippy here. <laughs> But I've always been of that mindset that if you truly believe you will make it happen. And then finding that community that resonates with your brand, they're going to be your best ambassadors in terms of getting your story out there Um, and being close to that community, listening to their maybe um, rants, as we put it. (laughs) And solving it. (laughs) And solving them and listening to what makes them happy or what excites them. But I think especially these days, there's such an opportunity to be niche and to be narrow before things kind of scale. And maybe it's even necessary in terms of making the best use of your resources to hone in on who your people are, who your community is, and just catering to them and building the brand organically from there. As you mentioned too, I don't think it's simply, but, you know, believe in staying true, because if you're not true to who you are and what you believe, then you know, you have the cognitive dissonance. So it's it's not a good mantra of strategy. So um, I, th- I think um, what you might say is hippie. I think it's it's a true word of advice. And on that ender, I think um, I thank you for your time. Merci beaucoup. D'avoir le temps de jaser avec moi. And then I'm sure um, we'll be in touch shortly. And of course, I'll my eyes will be on you for, in November for the event. Mais paramment, merci beaucoup. Uh, this is great. Thank you again for having me on, Ryan. Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. À très bientôt.